Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Dr. Caroline Leaf talking about how to help your teenager clean up their mental mess. Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist and neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of their mind to change the brain control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. She's the author of over a dozen books, including Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, Succeed, among many other books and journal articles, and her videos, top-rated podcasts, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, and TV episodes, which have reached millions of viewers globally. Dr. Leaf currently does extensive research and teaches at various academic, medical, corporate, and neuroscience conferences, as well as in religious institutions around the world. Really excited to speak with Dr. Leaf today about what parents can do to help our teenagers clean up their mental mess and manage their minds. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Andy. It's great to be with you. We were just talking a little bit about mental messes. You've got a a book on how to help your child clean up their mental mess. And yeah, talk talk to me about that. What 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 does that mean? Well, if you know, if you short answer is that look at the crisis that we currently have in in mental health. It's really bad, whether it's a two year old or whether it's an eighteen year old and adults too. So there's such a major crisis in mental health and I've been in the field now for nearly 40 years and doing research, also working clinically. And what I have seen in the trajectory of my career is a shift from looking at the whole person and their context and their story and their narrative and all those socioeconomic, political, racism, gender, all these things, looking at all of that over time and helping a person to cutting all of that out and going to just simply looking at symptoms and labeling and diagnosing and medicating. Now, if that process worked, if that biomedical model was working for the mind, we should be seeing improvement in mental health. But it's not, it's worse. It's the worst it's ever been. And our children are really, our children and adolescents are really victims of a very, very bad system. And there's, that's, I would say that that's one of the major issue, major reasons why we are seeing such a crisis in mental health and increase in suicides and depression and anxiety from kids as young as two and three and four. There's even records of kids as young as four committing suicide or dying by suicide. So we really have a major problem. And as I said, if it if the model that we introduced 40, well, not me, but that was introduced 40, 50 years ago was working, we would not be seeing this. So that's a major cause. Yes, of course, we've got to look at social media and we've got to look at whatever, but every generation places new changes. I mean, we had the advent of technology and telephones back in the day and whatever. Every generation faces something. So it's not that we, I don't think we can say or claim that this generation 
has is facing something completely unique and different to another generation because last generation faced something unique to them. Every generation faces something unique. I think the core problem, which is why I wrote the books, this book and why I've written the books that I, this is number 19, and why I've written so many books in this area is because we're not teaching our children and ourselves as adults how to manage our mind in the midst of all the chaos of life. And if you take that out of the equation, you land up with a mental mess. A lot of also the really, really interesting stuff you're talking about in, in the beginning of your book, and you connect with this, something you call the mind-brain-body connection. Absolutely. So basically, I'm a, um, to give you a type of what I am, I'm a psychoneurobiologist. So what I do is I look at the mind-brain-body connection. Um, so I look at if every, so that assumes that the mind is not the brain. So I've got a couple of parts here. So for those that are just listening and holding up a model brain. So we often, in our current languaging, mix mind and brain, but mind and brain are not the same thing, they're separate. So psychoneurobiology looks at how the mind changes the biology of the brain and changes the biology of the body, and then also looks at what is the impact of, if we don't manage like chronic unmanaged stress or the impact of early childhood, um, adverse childhood experiences and trauma, and it looks at that impact on the mind and the brain and how that then shows up in our life and then what can we do about it. So it's a very interesting field because, and it's very ancient, even though we, the modern term is psychoneurobiology, it's something that's been around the philosophers of old and your ancient wisdom, spiritual wisdom. And it, we spoke about the fact that it's not about us, it's about us in the world and how the world impacts us. And the, we have these normal responses to adverse circumstances and normal responses to good circumstances. So we got to always keep the equation in the mix of understanding that our life impacts us. And it's our mind that actually is what's processing life. And the mind puts life into the brain and the brain responds on this neurochemical and physical level. So does, it, so does the body respond? And that combination of mind, brain, and body, psychoneurobiology, influences how we show up. So the thinking in this field and as I said, it's, it's ancient, it's not old, it's not brand new thinking, but the thinking in this field is that if we can look at how a person is showing up, how they're communicating in their life, how they functioning in their relationships, their day-to-day -day function, what are they saying, what are they doing, what are the patterns, what are they feeling, what is going on in their body, all of those things, if we can look at that and say, okay, this is how you're showing up, what's the story behind it, and then help a person process that story in a very organized, sequential way, and over, over time, to find the source and then to reconceptualize that source. And then you can then influence how it plays out into your future. Because stuff has happened and it will happen. You can't change that fact. So we need to know what to do with what is happening inside of our lives. And that's essentially what the beginning of the book, what I talk about and, and pretty much what I've been working on for the last, as I said, nearly 40 years now. There's a really a cyclical way that this all plays out, this neuro cycle that's happening, I guess, really all the time constantly. Thank you for saying that. You're one of the first, and I've been interviewed by hundreds of people, if not thousands, and you're the first person who's actually said what you've just said. You said such a beautiful statement that we are neurocycling all the time, and that's exactly what I've called the system that I've developed because I want to understand how do we as a human, we wake up in the morning, we go through the day, we go through our life. 
what are we doing? What's this process of life becoming part of us and impacting how we function? So I developed a system called the NeuroCycle that basically looked at the science of how life becomes part of us and influences us. And then what can we do to actually reverse engineer in order to, you know, we can't change what's happened, but change how it plays out into our future. And that process is called the NeuroCycle. So yes, we are constantly neurocycling, either we're doing it well and we are managing it or it's messy because either way you're still going through life. You can't, and unless you're dead, you're still going through life. But if you don't manage it, it's messy. So messy life, messy brain, messy body, messy, you know, messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. And that's okay as long as we recognize that and then do something about that. But the doing something about the messiness has been for the last 40, 50 years taken to be a, a set of symptoms that has been, you know, re kind of like reduced down the complexity and the massiveness of a person's unique story and uniqueness has been reduced down to a set of symptoms to be eliminated. And we take away all of our human experience in that, and that doesn't work. And the evidence is very evident. So this book that I've written here, I've written, I wrote this one, was released about 18 months ago, is how to help cleaning up your mental mess, so pretty much for adolescents and adults. And this is very much, this is for two to 10 year olds. So this is anyone from 11 onwards can benefit. This is two to 10 year olds and it's a how to help a parent help their child and teach their child how to manage their mental mess. Because you can do this. I'm, my youngest patients were two and three years of age. My kids are all adults now, I have four children. They've learned this from when they were two and three years of age. So helping a, a person manage their mental mess, which is inevitable, is something we can teach ourselves and our children. Sounds like a lot of it really is also noticing that the approaches that we've been using or have been trying to use aren't really working and kind of understanding what we're doing that might actually be counterproductive or not helpful. Absolutely. It's so, so much so. If you just think of it, if you have something, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories of things that have happened in your life and from childhood all the way through, as have I and everyone listening and watching this. If we ignore the story and put that aside, but just look at the symptoms of unmanaged trauma. And those symptoms will be our emotions going all over the place, anxiety that's no longer working for us, potentially dep deep depression, potentially suicidal thoughts, problems physically in our body, looking at life like you just don't want to live anymore, life sucks, or whatever, various levels of that. That, what I've just described, we can't just end it there. We can't just say, okay, suicidal thoughts, how often, um, depression, how many times, how bad. And then, you know, kind of like symptom to take and then take those sort of very surface descriptions and then say, oh, that's because you have a neuro neurobiological cause. So therefore you are going to be diagnosed with depression or clinical depression or bipolar depression or schizophrenia or panic disorder or general anxiety disorder, all these names as though they are an entity like cancer or diabetes or a cardiovascular disease. If if you do that, if you take a mental experience and you classify it as a, or categorize it into a medical, physical, bodily, in other words, you pathologize um, misery or you medicalize misery or pathologize childhood or adolescence or life experiences, what we do is take the whole humanity out of it. We take away the huge part of it and we just take it down to a few little things that you can see above the iceberg, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And you get the symptoms. And then by, by its nature, the current biomedical model gets stuck in those symptoms and says, okay, you're showing up with all these things. Therefore, we, you get diagnosed. Now, diagnosis implies that 
we have a underlying biological cause identified. Like in cancer, we understand this, the biological cause. This cells are multiplying and they shouldn't be multiplying. So you target that. That, that works, cardiovascular disease, maybe hypertension, high blood pressure, whatever. We can, but when it comes to mental health, you can't say, oh, your brain made you sad. Meanwhile, you know, your, your life experience affected your brain. Sure, your brain will be affected. I show that with my research, as do many other scientists. But that's not the cause, that's the result. It's the impact of life. So we have to make that distinction. We have to manage the impact of life and look at in terms of what, you know, maybe people have now got tremendous gut issues or they've got, you know, heart, heart palpitations or hypertension or that kind of stuff that is needs to be managed because you're at risk for stroke if you have hypertension, that kind of thing. But those aren't the cause. It's not that you have a brain disease or a genetic flaw or a chemical imbalance as a cause. Those are the result of changes on your life in your life. So we have to go look at the whole story, help manage that story, and that in itself then helps to um, heal. It facilitates the healing of the physical as we heal the mental, if that makes sense. You talk about management. You talk in the book and you mentioned earlier mind management. How do you manage your mind or what does that even look like? Yeah. What does that even mean? So let me give you a story. What does it even mean? A simple example. We're talking about kids. So let's say that you have teenagers and they come because I know that you talk a lot about obviously this podcast is very geared towards teenagers. So let's say now that we post-COVID will hopefully, um, and it's been a really tough time. So parents, in mo- it's been the most difficult time to parent over this COVID period. We, we can all agree to that, um, whether you've got a young or an adult child or an adolescent, whatever. So parents are already quite strained and raw. Emotions are quite raw and people are trying to normalize and all that stuff. And it's getting better all the time. But now let's say your child who's got back, gone back to school and they come home from a bad day at school and they were something happened that affected them in adolescence or uh, Adolescence is, as we know, the most difficult part of our entire life cycle. So from, you know, 10, 11 through 18, it's the most difficult part of the life cycle. And everything is just so sharpened and whatever. So now let's maybe say that they were rejected by friends at school or something happened that really threw them. So they come in the door and throw their bag down and maybe swear and maybe get frustrated or withdraw or just snap at you or just seem, you know, kind of have a really bad attitude. And your emotions as a parent are raw. That can lead to an immediate level of conflict and that just is really messy and that let's say that this happens as a continual basis or, or, or on a continual basis a pattern starts to emerge in that child's behaviors and that could be they come home and they know they're not going to get sort of this is going to happen so they avoid it so they start withdrawing maybe withdraw to their room get stuck in social media so now their brain goes down another their mind brain connection goes down another road that isn't going to help oh sorry something's going on here um so this whole thing just goes, sorry, we had to edit that out. Something popped up on my screen um, with this Zoom thing. So it's, I hope, it, I hope it's still recording. Is it still recording? Okay, you go. Now we have this messy situation developing and minds are not being managed, neither parent nor child. And more and more behaviors are going to be developing. Potentially that child will go into a spiral, school results, start, you know, school behavior, school mark grades start getting affected. And a whole series of behaviors that make the parent very concerned. So they speak, maybe take the child to the psychiatrist who then, you know, this child won't talk much. So they're they're 15 minutes questionnaire, boom, they have a label, clinical depression, medicate the child, maybe ADHD medication, 
a label. That is bad. Okay, I have a whole chat in here on how that can happen. So what, do we, what does mind management look like? That is not mind management. What has happened there is just spiraling into more and more of a mess. What we need to do is that if we had to have a policy put in place to help this current crisis we're in, it would be to work on helping a parent help themselves because the distress that a parent experiences when they haven't managed their own stuff that they're going through and trying to protect their child and not knowing how to connect in this whole spiral I've just described, that is going to, the, the, the level of distress that you feel about your child's distress is actually going to make the child, especially the adolescent, look at your level of reaction and make them feel even worse about themselves because they see your, the way you, you're very distressed and the thing just is going nowhere. They will then think, oh, I'm really in a bad place. If my parent, who's maybe in their 40s or 50s or whatever, they think this is so terrible, I'm 15 and this is absolutely terrible, it's even worse because they think it's terrible. So in other words, the level of distress that we reflect back to our child about their distress increases their distress. So unintentionally, we're making the situation more messy. So it begins, mind management begins with me as a parent looking at myself and my reactions to my child and knowing how to support a, myself. So we should be focusing heavily on helping a parent understand what they're going through in response and being able to ma manage their own, their, their own reactions. And there are ways of doing it through the neurocycle you can. And then that way, then helping the child when they're in a better place, oxygen mask principle, when you've got the oxygen on yourself, you can help your child. So that is mind management. So mind management would be as you as the child comes in the door um, and they are all doing all the things I described, yeah, then you instead of going, oh, not again, or in yourself, you tense up and you think, oh my gosh, I've got to do all this. I've got so much going, whatever you just, and you maybe snap. Whatever. Instead of that, you say, okay, I know how I'm, I feel like this. And you can say it out loud or in your head, I feel like this. And you get, make a little a sentence, I feel totally overwhelmed. I don't know how to deal with the situation. No judgment. No, you just you just label. You literally label your emotions. I feel panicky. I feel overwhelmed. What are your behaviors? I'm about to snap at my child. Um, and then what are you what you, what are you feeling in your body? My heart's rotating completely out of. It feels like my my heart's gonna just jump out of its out of my body. And my perspective. I'm looking at this. It just feels like I can't cope. Now, just by labeling, making four sentences of how you feel. What's what are you doing? What is your perspective and what's going on in your body? Those are four signals that give you information. By simply labeling those, you have done the first step of the neurocycle, which is to bring into awareness in a very organized and non-chaotic mind-managed way. You're managing your mind. You're standing back and observing yourself, giving yourself grace, giving yourself, okay, to feel like this, etc. You've now basically changed the neuro neurology. Your neurophysiology has shifted to one of being able to be empowered to you empowered to control so you literally have brought that toxic situation that's been happening for a few days or whatever or a few months or whatever into conscious awareness by these four sentences and now you can change and rewire the network that this comes from which is the situation with my teenager that i don't know how to deal with it's coming that's happened whatever whatever the details are so it's a whole thought tree that is toxic versus a healthy thought inside of our brain so by saying those four sentences as a pair, if you bring that up, then we can quickly, and you can do this really fast. Once you know the system, you can then say, okay, well, I'm, then you go to the next, you literally move. Okay, four sentences, then you say, okay, now I'm going to quickly reflect, focus reflection. Why am I feeling like this? Well, this has been happening for a long time. It's okay to feel like this. It's making me very scared. 
I'm going to have fun. I'm going to get help. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to read Dr. Lee's book. I'm going to talk to a therapist or a best friend or something. Um, so it's okay. I feel like this because oh, you, you do this sort of reflect step where you acknowledge why you're feeling like this. You can, if you've got time, maybe you could just quickly write down if you've got a notepad around or on your phone, just make a few notes of those four sentences that you said and what you reflected on, just the why. And you're just bringing it all into consciousness. The writing down starts being all out of chaos. As you write down, more things will come up. Then you go into the fourth step, which is recheck, where you reconceptualize. Where you say, okay, well, in this situation right now, this is what's happened. This is what I can do right now. I can do more later on. I can talk to that therapist. But right now, I need to help my child. And it's okay for me to feel like this. So what can I do? Go. To, I, I can basically explain what I'm going through and say that we're going to work on this together. I can give them a statement. I can be empathetic. One of the biggest things that can help a child is empathy. Empathy for yourself, empathy for your child. So then the first step is active reach. Okay, do it. So then you so you do that in all those five steps in your head. And it's in detail in this book. It's in detail in this book. And I have an app called the NeuroCycle app where you can learn how to do this, where I walk you through it with audio visuals, like me literally training you to, to do this on a constant lifestyle basis. Now you can say to your child, okay, you've done this in three minutes, got yourself calm while you were just maybe making coffee or something. Now you look at your child and you say, hey, shame, I see you really not feeling great. Talk to me. I'm here for you. No judgment. No, no, uh, you're creating a safe space. You're saying to them, hey, I see you. I don't understand, but I'm here. I see you. I'm sorry for my previous reactions, but I can see you need me now. Shame, let me, can you talk to me? I'm here for you. Just tell me about your day. What do you need? Do you need a cup of coffee? Do you want to just sit with me and have a cup of coffee together? What do you need? I'm here to listen. No judgment. And then maybe your child sits down, still doesn't say something. And then you can you can actually verbalize what you went through and say to them, hey, you know what? This has been going on for a while and I'm sorry that I've been handling it badly. And you know, these are the emotions that I've been feeling. And the, this is what my body's been. And you actually go through and you, you tell them out loud, this is how I've felt and this is what I've done. I went through these steps and my, my, my action is I want to tune into, I'm getting myself under control so that I can help you. And I want to hear you and I want to listen to you and let's work this out together. And I can teach you the neurocycle. We can do this together because the neurocycle is a mind-directed neuroplasticity system that helps to get your messy mind under control by your wise mind because we all have our wired for love, wise mind. It's wired into our neurobiology. It's part of our deep spiritual and unconscious mind. And all we've got to do is for a moment stand back Get into that zone where you can stand back and observe. And that's what the neurocycle enables you to do. By doing that, you calm down your neurophysiology. You get to the point where you're calm enough. Say the right thing to your child. And then for your child, whether they're little or big, they can then learn how to respond. That is mind management. And as you bring in this in as a lifestyle, you can then start working on the moment-by-moment moment little things that pop up as something. And then you can start looking at patterns. And a pattern means that this has been around for a while. And if there's a pattern in your child's life or your life, then it's going to take a little longer than the moment. You use the moment neurocycle to calm down and to get into a state. And it's like, okay, this has been going on for a while. How about we spend five minutes a day or 15 minutes a day for the next 63 days? And I'll tell you why 63, working through this pattern so that we can rewire the brain. Because at the moment, this is driving you. And Going in your room and reading social, getting stuck on social media or us continually fighting about this or you getting a label, it's just going to make this bigger. What we need to do is weaken this. 
and heal the roots and reconstruct so it shrinks and we can build a, a better coping mechanism. We mustn't insulate our children trauma. As much as we see our kids in distress, they have to use you, not in your head. You have to use the distress as a life lesson. So we have to help the child to learn how to manage their mind in order to, hey, life is not going to be perfect. You cannot insulate your child from everything, but you can teach your child what to do when they feel thrown and give themselves permission. So can it be said, my mother was feeling totally overwhelmed by my reaction. So an adult feels this, and that's okay. We're here with Dr. Caroline Leaf talking about how parents can help their teenagers clean up their mental mess and manage their minds. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Emotions do not live alone. Psychiatry speaks into the media. We would think emotions are the most important thing. They are linked to behaviors and to bodily sensations and to perspectives. And when we package them together, we get a bigger picture. And when we realize that those are actually just the tip of the iceberg, we need to go deeper and find the actual thought and the networks and how the self-talk, which is in the branches of the tree. And we need to know how to go to this level to actually see how this is impacting my friend relationships, my sibling relationships, my own relationship with myself. Why? You've got to find the source. And another thing is we can't just become aware of those emotions and aware of the source. We also have to reconceptualize. We have to change it. We have to heal the root. So if someone is training to be a pro athlete, no one expects a child to be good at the sport until they've been trained. And they, so that's all logical. But when it comes to the mind, it's like this instant quick fix. As soon as a child's a problem, label and diagnose. The, the effort that goes into a sport, there's much more effort that should be put into the mind. My husband, for example, his parents put him in boarding school when he was five and he didn't see his mother for a whole year. Now just think of the trauma of not seeing your parent at five for a whole year. There were a lot of issues that then once he got the basic stuff sorted out, trickled into his parenting. For example, were maybe just the normal kid stuff. He would overreact and think, gee, I didn't have this opportunity. And when it came up, he would actually say, oh, this is coming from that. This is a better way. Let's discuss it, et cetera, et cetera. So the child could see his impact of his life on his parenting, but also how he managed it. Want to hear the full episode? Head over to talkingtoteens.com slash register for a free trial of our premium podcast. You get exclusive access to loads of great content with no obligation. And your membership supports the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Get started today with a free trial over at talkingtoteens.com slash register. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.